Welcome to Glib Shark, the podcasting madness of three people and the shark of their dreams. Our hosts include Jack Jenga Ship Edithel, Lauren Obo Crazy Urban, and Jonathan Roadblock Cerna. Dive in as they chat with interesting people across the internet and generally talk about really geeky things. Be a chum and join us, won't you? It's time for Glib Shark. Blink, blink. Is it I'm time also, for me to say, hi, I'm Jack? It is time to say for you, for you to say, hi, I'm Jack. It is also time for me to say, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Lauren. I'm just going to say it. And we are Glib Shark. We're, uh, we're live. Uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, we recorded this on November 22nd, 2016. Uh, today in history, oh, well, that's actually kind of a bummer. John JFK got assassinated. But uh, hey, on the plus side, at least we have Obo Crazy here to do a little something we call This Week in Geek. Uh, just amazing, stellar transition there. I just pivot like, like crazy. Like I, I want to dab right now. Oh my god. Here to do a little something we call This Week in Geek. How are you, Lauren? I remember JFK fondly, even though I was not old enough to remember him. Wow. Okay, here's... So, there's a theme to This Week in Geek this week. It's a theme we've actually used before, because sadly, in our day and age, uh, remakes, revisions, sequels, prequels, those are kind of everywhere, and so... This week, I'd like to talk about four different things that are coming back to haunt us or hopefully be good. First, Dune, because the spice must flow. Legendary Entertainment, who are actually the team behind a couple of good movies, uh, Dark Knight, Interstellar, Pacific Rim, and many others, have picked up the rights to Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah, that Dune. The the Dune that, if I need to explain what Dune is to you, pause this, go to Wikipedia, go read Dune. Uh, the agreement calls for the development and production of possible film and television projects for a global audience. And and that's it. That's all we know. They got the rights. Whether something will actually happen, who knows? I continue to hold out hope that someone will come along and make uh, Yordakowski's Dune, but until then, I'll just have to watch the documentary, which is awesome. Not interested in seeing a new version of dune how about a new version of snowpiercer (sighs) already (laughs) apparently (laughs) i know didn't that just come out i mean not just come out but like like two years ago or something it's 2013 couple years okay Uh, relatively recent history i mean especially since we were just talking about dune So Snowpiercer, for those that don't know, was a 2013 film based on a French graphic novel. And it's about the apocalypse because everything is the specific apocalypse that happens in Snowpiercer is the freezing of the world for reasons that are kind of vaguely hinted at, at least in the movie. And the remaining survivors are on a speeding bullet train that races around the world that for reasons they don't really explain is immune to the effects of the cold. The um, interesting thing about this specific apocalypse is the heavy amount of social commentary. The train is arranged like any kind of passenger vehicle that you would find nowadays and where 
people who have more money are allowed to sit towards the front and have access to more things, while people in the back are considered lower classes. And if you've seen the movie, there's a lot more darker things going on. So, hey, doesn't that sound like something to watch in a TV show on a regular basis? Yay. Uh, I don't know. Um, So the TV show won't have the stars of the movie, which sucks because Chris Evans, Ed Harris, and Tilda Swinton make everything better. But apparently the TV show... Now, if you've seen the movie, what you're probably saying is, wait a second, how can they make a TV show out of that? Didn't it end? Without getting into spoiler territory, well, apparently this is going to be episodic based in different cars on the train while the train was still running. Um, Only a pilot has been ordered. We'll see more after that. But uh, I don't know. This is one of those things where I know how it ends. I don't know. I don't know if I want to know how it begins. I'm not sure if I need that kind of social commentary every week of my life. Speaking of something without too much social commentary monster hunter hey do you like playing monster hunter yeah a lot of people do do you want the people behind resident evil to make a movie about monster hunter Uh, who knows so their take on the monster hunter franchise isn't the classic hey we're a bunch of people who are going to go out and kill monsters because you know who wants to watch something like that where it's just giant beat-em-ups with monsters uh, pacific rim but apparently the Monster Hunter movie is going to be about... <laughs> so, basically, it's an ordinary man in a dead-end job in today's world and universe. Uh, is actually the descendant of an ancient hero who must travel to a mystical world to train to become a monster hunter because the monsters have invaded Earth. You know, if it has big monster fights, I'll probably see it, but uh, I don't know. It, it it sounds like it's just going to be a CGI fest. And you know what? If it's pretty, that might be enough. Finally, a movie that was very pretty that is getting an interesting uh, sequel, I guess you would call it. So, The Dark Crystal. It's probably one of my most favorite Jim Henson movies of all time. Uh, we're talking about the 1982 Jim Henson Frank Oz film. If you haven't seen it, you absolutely should it's some of the it's some of the best adult-ish stuff I think that the Henson Company ever did with puppets. But you know, that's just my opinion. It's a gorgeous movie. It's got some amazing scenes in it, some really cool characters, and it's it ends. It has an ending. You know, it's a self-contained movie. So why not have a 12-issue comic series based on the unused featured script and drawn by artists who have watched the movie that continues the story? Because why not? Um, you can go read the synopsis online, at least of the, the vague beginning of the story. Um, but it takes place decades after the first film, and it is just kind of a rehash in a weird way my suggestion go watch the original movie the original movie is still fantastic i have seen it recently it 100 percent still holds up but you know graphic novel at least that that might be able to emulate the art style i'll say that so uh, that's all for this week in geek i'm obo crazy and the original is always better than the remake the world is indeed a strange place. If you have a fact you want read, live and on the air, say, for instance, a Monster Rancher movie, 
You can send it to Lauren at obocrazy.com and she'll read it on the show. And while you're at it, go to gloopshark.com, the house of all of our contents. You guys know this, who are those of you listening? Uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Drunks, classic Jenga Jam interviews, like the one I had with Hannah Hart from My Drunk Kitchen, uh, aka Harto. Or all time buttcast, you can see burgeoning Sailor Mary Sailor Tweak McDowell and Barbara Dunkelman and all kinds of interesting young people in their in their nascent heydays. All this available at glibshark.com, the house of all of our content. God, I feel old now. We've been you know, it's funny you mentioned that. because uh, next week is kind of a milestone for the show. It marks the tenth anniversary of the debut of what was then called Late Night Jenga Jam. That is true. And those are, are you talking about the pre-episode episodes? The nope. Or are you talking about episode one? This episode one with, I believe, Big Nice John, uh, John LeBeau, like that aired, I believe, on November 30th of t- 2006. God damn it, world. Yeah, man. Some of, some of us were, I think I was still living in Philly at the time. I was doing like night school and uh, working two jobs. And uh, and now I'm you know working the one job, married with uh, with a dog, living out in the <laughs> suburbs. Two thousand six, I I knew who Luke was, and we'd played some Halo together, but that's about it. I was living in Buffalo. Was it Buffalo, or had I was I still in Florida at that time? I don't remember. I think you might have been in Buffalo because I remember hearing about you had that radio gig in in Florida. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I must have just moved back to Buffalo. Um, Living on my own. Still poor as shit. Still trying to make a living being a musician. So a couple things have changed, but some some things are still the same. (laughs) Roblox, how about you? Yeah. Where was I 10 years ago? Uh... Let's see. In 2006, I had just started working at a company in the city. Uh, I was well into my second year on a site called redversusblue.com. <laughs> uh, I'd run into a young man in the bar who loved taking pictures of himself um, and, and throwing himself around a room while he took those pictures uh, by the name of Gavino. Wonder what happened to that kid. Yeah. Nah. He seemed like a good kid. He lost in the ether. And uh let's see. I that's that's what I was doing. And uh the year after that, uh I became a mod. There you go. I think the the first the first RVBTO would have happened that the, not the not the early early one that was just basically a fan gathering the first official one where you bought tickets and uh bernie gus and nico showed up that one right that one was the one where i remember i think it was uh it was abandoned it was ryan who like there was a video posted and this was this was back when posting videos was a big deal uh mm-hmm. of gus asking if ryan had been patted down for pastries Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Linnea and I went to that first RVBTO. She had come to visit, and uh, we did not stay the whole time. We we were there for the afternoon that was the 
the showing and the Q&A and Nico's performance and then kind of hung out a little bit afterwards. But we didn't end up going to the bar that night. We drove back because we weren't staying in Toronto. We were uh, she was staying with me. Um, And it was it was kind of almost a a spur of the moment thing. It was like, oh, you're going to be in town. You might as well come into town during this thing and we'll go meet a bunch of Rooster Teeth people. So, yeah. So 10 years ago started a lot of interesting things in our lives. Ah, nostalgia. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, just thinking back to how much of an impact this show, how this has been, like, the one constant in my life. Like, I feel like a lot has changed in terms of I've lived in four different counties in Pennsylvania in this time. I've probably been uh, three or four jobs, a couple of relationships. uh, You know, oh, let me think. Oh, but yeah, three of my nieces were born of the four nieces I have were born when I had when I the time of doing the show. Although I'm trying to remember if we ever had Commissar Litvin off. I think we must have had him on during one of the RVBTO episodes or something. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he made an appearance. I'm positive. Yeah, I for, just remember those that know, Martha wore his hat once. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, then then must have. For, the, for those of you who are very young, who may have been six when this uh, when Commissar <laughs> Litvin off was the thing. Uh, so when RVBTO, the uh, sort of nascent Rooster Teeth uh, community gathering in Toronto that was, you know, fan org driven entirely, there was uh, one of the planners um, went by, you know, had his alter ego where he put on this sort of military uniform and walked around with this uh, this sort of vodka bottle and did a pretty, I would say, excellent top notch uh, Eastern European accent. I think it was specifically <laughs> supposed to be russian i don't know for sure although it might have been belarusian which because belarus oh that's just you know, being pedantic he was a goddamn commie well com- he was, well, he was definitely kind of, trying to be a commie definitely a commie but you know, all kinds of communist countries but like yeah so he was sort of this character i'm like and i'll think of myself back in the day you know if i can get as popular as commissar litvinov i will have succeeded and i think i i, I feel like i've accomplished that <laughs> yes i i think that's a good a good yes i think you have become as popular as he has i feel there like are we... six-year-olds who know your name my friend yeah Wait, that's creepy <laughs> yeah kind of well oh man but that it. was that was the past i want to talk about the recent recent past like the last week because roadblock apparently had a lot of shit go down in the last week oh yeah so how was your week buddy uh well it started off shitty because we elected some goddamn orange-faced buffoon as the president, and that now he's part of the of the cabal that includes George Washington, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Barack Obama. But you know, other than that, not you know, not not. Not too much going on. I'm just kidding. There was a lot going on. There was yeah. actually I, this week. Was, I just love how like Roblox would happen to you, and he's just like fucking American politics happened to me. What happened to you? The, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? Ordinarily, this is where I throw in a disclaimer that says the views reflected by Frank Jonathan do not reflect those of the show. They they do. They do. They yeah. Do. As brown people and and Jewish people and people who who have a stake in in people like being all in people in, in people and actually as people who care about people man fuck our government right now i mean respectfully fuck our government i mean <laughs> as a friend of ours said you we got to respect the office not necessarily the man so mr president go fuck yourself 
Um, You're like the, the the New York delegate from the musical 1776. Courteously. That wow. <laughs> Deep cuts all over oh the place. My Jesus. Oh god, I'm going to have to go listen to that musical again. I played that in college and it's actually a ton of fun. That is a wow. For those of you who love Hamilton and you want to see probably one of the inspiration points for uh, Lin-Manuel um for his musical, go go listen to 1776. It's actually pretty cool. Well, if you want to hear Mr. Feeney use the word independency, it's pretty much your only option. So, all right. Well, yeah, uh, and and anyway, all that aside, I mean, we, I, I said my piece uh, out on social media that that we have to fight hate with love, that we we have to stay vigilant, and we have a lot of work to do over the next four years. And really, that's what's important. That's we we all know what we need to do. We, we don't need to leave. We don't need to riot. We need to protest. We need to make our voices heard. And we need to do our best to continue to make sure that people who need love are loved. And that's all really all there is to it. Um, anyway. You can't go wrong loving people. And, yeah. and to that end, uh, I did actually make it down to an old favorite of mine, BoardGameGeek.com or BGG.com as we like to call it. Uh, it is a convention in Dallas, and it is the gathering of of friends and fans of the website BoardGameGeek.com, which is pretty much the board game resource. Like, if you have any questions about a board game or want to buy, like, a board game that is really hard to find that you can't really find on Amazon, this is the place for it. I've been going, this is probably my seventh or eighth time, I think, going. And and it's always a blast. Oddly enough, this year, not as much drinking. And not for reasons that I keep vaguely alluding to. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe it's just, I don't know if it's a non-drinky time, because I find that my alcohol consumption has gone down considerably in the last couple of years. I, I think it was just... Um, my friends who had who had gone with me who were like, yeah, we're all going to drink, didn't really drink a whole lot either. And um, and I did get sick on Friday night. So that kind of put so the Battling Tops tournament, which is something that's a highlight for me. It is an event that is one of the cornerstones for BGG.com uh, for me personally. I actually didn't participate in this year. I was I was all dressed. I had my costume. I was ready to go. And I got sick. Um, we had had some, we had ordered Thai food uh, to have for dinner. That way we wouldn't lose our spot in the gaming hall. We could preserve our table. And we, I, I also had some coffee that had been kind of sitting around for a bit. And I downed it really quickly after eating too much Thai food. And I think that's what did me in. I think after that, uh, my stomach just kind of, went up in knots and I just did not feel good. So I went down, I was in full costume. I was ready to, to do some battling and at, at, in the mask and the heat, I was just like, uh, I just can't do this. I, it's, it's just not happening for me. So mm. I, I went ahead and, and just called it a night and, and that pretty much put the kibosh on, on Friday night stuff. I mean, normally Friday nights where everyone's kind of amped, everyone stays up real late, and it just didn't happen for me this time just simply because uh, it was uh, – it, it, 
I, I was just out of it. Everyone, my, my roommates came back to bed and, uh, or back to the room, and we just went to bed. And even though it was, it was still almost like 1245 when they showed up, it was still what we consider like an early night. But uh, that was the bad. The, the rest was really good. I, I played a lot of pretty interesting games and, and, um, and a bunch of old favorites. I actually did something that I don't normally do. Uh, I played with randos. What? We made it a point to play with Rando. So someone had said uh, quite fairly that whenever me and my roommates go down to this thing, we all kind of play with each other and not really with anything else, anyone else. And I kind of thought about that this time. And I was like, you know what? We, that's true. We really don't. And sort of the point of this convention is to meet new people and, and play games with, with people you wouldn't normally play games with. So that's that's something that we did. We went ahead and we always like if we were playing a four player game and there were only three of us, we would put up the players wanted sign and try and get more people. And it, and it worked out really well. Like the randos we played with were were pretty good, pretty good randos. I, I would like to think that if you're at a convention like this where people are going to sit down and play face to face, the people are going to be on their best behavior. Well, it's sometimes it's not up to them. I mean, there are some really, I mean, you know this, there are some very socially awkward, unintentionally so people. And sometimes you get those as randos. And I, we just, we just happen not to get any of that. And, and I mean, some people just can't help it. Some people have, have issues are just, uh, not as socially developed as, as other people. And that's, I mean, that, that happens. It's, yeah. We deal with it, but it, it, I'm just saying that this time the randos that I got were pretty personal, not not necessarily too weird, and and fun to play with. So it definitely something we'll uh, we'll be doing again. And we also got to kick off the weekend by going to the Dallas World Aquarium, which was awesome, and the Perot Museum of Nature uh, and Science, which was also awesome. Very cool. So science so and what, board games. Science and board games. So what's some of these new games that you tried out that you were impressed by? Uh, the one in particular, which is a game you may see at RTX because it is incredibly easy to teach. It's It doesn't play very many people. It plays for max, but it is a really, really simply put together game. It's called Glux, and it's basically sort of like a combination of Go and... Um, and like a game like El Grande, where you're putting out stuff and trying to trying to area control places. So it's like an abstract strategy, like uh, area control game, and it's really really good. Like we started playing it because we saw that there was going to be a tournament for it at some point in the weekend. So we played it a bunch, and I didn't do well in the tournament. Uh, my one of my roommates got to the second round and got a free copy. And it it worked out really, really well because it was a fun, fun game. Even though, like I said, we didn't do well in the tournament. We made some new friends in said tournament. And, uh, and, and, and we had a lot of fun. And it's definitely a game I'm going to be uh, uh, getting a hold of. Nice. Anything else? Uh, there were a bunch of other games that we, that we played that um, I can't, honestly can't recall at the moment. Uh, we played some old favorites like Age of Empires, and uh, and it's always a good time when something like that hits the table, or Zulkin, which is another like worker placement game. Uh, all of those were a lot of fun. I 
I'd have to say there there was a game that I wanted to try called Terraforming Mars, which was kind of one of the uh, one of the new hot games, and and we I didn't get a chance to play that, which was kind of unfortunate, but oh well. Uh, I also got to play a game that I had played a few years ago and haven't played much since, but it's called Viticulture, and it's all about making wine, and it's an absolutely gorgeous game. Like the art is great, the gameplay is a little too straightforward like there's really only one way to win but it's still like the mechanics of the game and the art of the game are just really really good so those were some of my highlights yeah and and just oh we did get to do the the game show which is something that they do every year and last year we won we were we were the defending champions of the game show uh this time the format was a uh was a british game show called pointless where you are given a category and you have to come up with answers that fit in that category, but answers are ranked by the surveys that were given out like by the, the guy running it. So like he quizzed 100 people these very same categories. They had 100 seconds to write whatever came to their mind down, and then whoever got the most common answers, those are how many points you get for that answer. Like. For example, one of the categories was rivers that are over a thousand miles or two thousand miles long, and well, there's only nineteen of those. I found out later. So if you said something like the Amazon, you were going to get a lot of points because that a lot of people would say the Amazon. And points are not good in this game. You want to try and get as few points as possible. But if you were to say something like the Mekong River, then that would get you like, I think it was seven points. Because only seven percent of people put that down, and so that would—that's an excellent score. So we had a couple. So it's yeah, it's Family Feud. Family Feud used golf rules. Sort of, yeah. It, it's like reverse Family Feud, and it's last year they did Family Feud. This is actually I like better because when they put up like basically he says, okay, who who put down these answers and you say oh me 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 and so you say or you say an answer it's like okay uh i put down the yellow river and so he puts in he puts it in and it, if it's correct it appears on the giant board for everyone to see and if it is correct then it starts counting down so if you have an answer that you kind of have and are, are wanting to do well you're watching it as it decreases in value so you're kind of rooting for it as it becomes better and better and you'll often have people go 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 woo <laughs> and it's a lot of fun and that's just something you don't get in the family feud format which i like to the i like the family feud but i think i like i like pointless better nice and then how did you do we came in solidly middle of the pack uh, we were in the top okay. 10 after the second round, but then we had an abysmal third round and uh, and ended up just pretty much right smack in the middle. Yeah, you can't win every year, right? No, and it's pretty unrealistic to expect to win this. Um, it does take not only a working knowledge of the subjects, but you also just have to get lucky. Like we got yeah. 
last year we got very lucky with the topics we drew and this year we didn't like a, there was that river question which we did not do well on also a question about the best-selling book series of all time and we did not do well on that one either uh we tried to do go a little too clever so we'd said things like uh the Di the divergent series and uh percy jackson and while those have had movies and are extremely popular they just simply didn't match up mm. didn't match up to things like the babysitter club or American Girl, or the Berenstein Bears, all of which were uh, apparently excellent answers. Okay. <laughs> well, to be fair, the Berenstein Bears have a recent resurgence in popularity due to the, the theory that we're living in a divergent universe where someone has gone back and changed the spelling of that name. You guys familiar with that at all? No, no, and part of me doesn't want to be, and part of me wants to, wants to say, go on. Well, I'll indulge the latter. So basically, there are a whole bunch of people who are convinced that Berenstain used to be spelled with no A in the name, like Berenstein, like Steen or whatever. And as far as I know, it's always been the A, but I, people are convinced in their minds that someone has gone back and changed it or we're living in some sort of alternate reality where we're one reality removed from where it was Steen and not Stain. That's odd. And That's weird. I mean, yeah. I did look at, the, at it up on the big board and, no, and think that it was... Uh, a little strange that it was spelled that way, but honestly, I didn't. I don't remember how it was spelled when I was a kid. Yeah. So, conspiracy theorists, Infowars, get on that. <laughs> actually, Infowars Info just died in a fire. Actually, while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> and now all I have in my head is, um, is uh, Young Frankenstein. It is is whenever I hear these Stein. Frankenstein. Yes, yeah. Frankenstein. 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 Whenever I hear someone do the Steinstein thing, that's I hear Gene Wilder in my head, and it makes me happy. Oh, and I then you that remember guy. that he's dead because fuck 2016. And, and because fuck 2016. All right, uh, I I'm gonna mention this mostly because most of the people that I know are not familiar with Sharon Jones, and so um, I'm gonna mention her. In the context of Sharon Jones, just passed away recently. She passed away uh, Friday, so just a couple of days ago as of this recording. And if you don't know who Sharon Jones is, you really go to YouTube right now and look up Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. She was an amazing, um, and this is not usually a genre that I have any knowledge or interest in. She's a, a soul R&B singer, and the Dap Kings were her calling them a backup band does them a, a disservice, but they, they were a, a pair. And she, um, I found about out about Sharon Jones in the most, the whitest way possible. She was a guest on NPR's wait, wait, don't tell me. Which that is, a show is I, the white, the, the liberal white news source. Is it not? It, it is. Well, NPR is in specific and <laughs> and wait, wait, don't tell me is in general. It is, you know, the the it is to white people news what um, uh, pumpkin spice lattes are to white girls. And I am some unashamed. dudes and to and some dudes. dudes. But we're we're talking in cliches right now. So anyway, I'm listening to this show and uh, amongst a bunch of different things that they do. They always have a guest on that they interview for a little bit and then play a dumb game with um, their words, dumb game. And 
a lot of the time the guests that they have on, I'm only mildly interested in or I'm interested in, but, you know, so they have this woman on who I've never heard of before. And through the course of this interview, two things become apparent. One, the host of the show who is conducting the interview this is more than just I'm conducting an interview with a fascinating person. He is a wholesale fan and is almost geeking out at being able to talk with her. And so it's endearing. And also, as the interview goes on, Sharon Jones is witty and fascinating and intelligent and seems to have more energy in a, you know, coming through the radio than anyone I've heard before. And in the space of about five minutes of listening to this interview and listening to her do this, this dumb little show, I said, I need to find this person and watch some of her videos because she sounds, I just thoroughly enjoyed listening to someone I've never heard of before. And she is friggin' amazing. So go uh, to YouTube when you get a chance, go listen to Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Now, the reason for this giant rant, um, as you mentioned, Gene Wilder, and you remember Gene Wilder, and he brings a smile to my face, and then you remember he passed away. Um, yes, 2016 has sucked for a lot of reasons, most notably being the um, the prevalence of artists, of very top-tier artists who have unfortunately passed away this year. And maybe it's a self-defense mechanism. Maybe it's the just we've gone through so many and I've come to a realization, but I feel like I'm going to stop mourning these people and I'm going to use, well, we kind of got this with some of these artists. I'm using the now front page ish news of their unfortunate demise as a reason to proselytize their awesomeness because Sharon Jones is friggin' amazing. And if me talking about her untimely death and how I, how I learned about her is enough for one other person listening to this to go and watch, definitely when you go to YouTube, look for a live performance. I mean, even her recorded stuff is amazing, but watching her perform live, I don't understand how she can be dead. This woman has more energy than the, than the sun. It's amazing. So I want to remember Gene Wilder and have him bring a smile to my face, even if in the next moment I remember that he's passed away. Because you know what? My first instinct is brought a smile to my face because friggin' Gene Wilder and, and Sharon Jones and all those people that we've lost. There, I lost over. a lot this year, too. I know. And I think it's a really noble and good motive there like rather than focus on you know all the bad stuff that's happening in the world which there's plenty of people that are willing to do that it's good to sort of shine a light on the things that that were good and are good in this world even if they're uh not with us any longer and people were discovering and finding out about you know even anyone from sharon jones to leonard cohen to even david bowie if you can imagine people who hadn't like younger generation had no idea who he was and now they're diving into his whole you know discography and they're discovering him for the first time and that's kind of a wonderful thing do you think that's a fair assessment i mean i i want to blame young people for a lot of shit as is and also the fact that i just said young people oh my fucking god what is wrong <laughs> with me uh you're old that's what's wrong with you no but i don't want to be i don't wanna 
I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be that. But uh, anyway, person. so my point is, is that is that are are we giving are we giving the younger generation not enough credit that they didn't know David Bowie? I mean, he he was pretty influential, and I feel like at this point, it's almost he he's getting up there with the Beatles and Elvis. So I I don't know that we're that I, I, obviously stupid people don't know who he is, but I think there are probably a lot of younger people who knew exactly what he was, and and I mean probably. Like, I don't mean to say that no young people knew he was, but probably a lot of people didn't know about him until he died because he's back in the news for the first time in a long time. Unless you watch Venture Brothers, in which case you're probably already a Bowie fan anyway. Yeah, I I don't blame, quote-unquote, young people, but in general, anyone of any age who is not familiar with a artist who was before their time. Because that... and. It can be argued that all of these artists that we've talked about were contemporaries up until they passed away this year. But um, a lot of them are artists who had their prime when we were younger or, you know, their their most I mean, Leonard Cohen, most people only know one song of his. And, and they most only people know it recently because it was in Watchmen. Or they know the uh, the multitude of covers of Hallelujah. I I would actually bet that more people right now know that song from the Saturday Night Live cold open after the election than yeah. they do anything else. And I don't I don't see that as a bad thing. You know that is if a, once again if a percentage of those people who saw that who've never heard the song before look the song up. And find out about Leonard Cohen, then that's great. That's that's the the immortality of artists, you know. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think we can a hundred percent blame anyone who the you know missed out on an artist. You know, I don't think. I think it's it's a beautiful moment when you can have that moment of discovery with somebody of any age who's never heard of such and such an artist, such and such a TV show, such and such a this, a that. Um, you know, it's, it's awesome. And once again, sadly, when they pass away, it's another chance for people who've never heard their music to discover those artists. So I would like to think we don't have to wait for people to die, but sometimes, you know. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Like, I saw a kid, like a teenager, wearing a Kurt Cobain, like, Nirvana t-shirt. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, there's no way this girl could be, like, a Nirvana fan or whatever. Like, it came out so – he died – Kurt Cobain died so much longer after he died. But I thought about it. Like, when I was a teenager, like, she is as far removed from Kurt Cobain as I was from Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. I'm just, like it, – it took me a while to process this. Like, we're – Wow. The 90s are as far away now from now as the late 60s, early 70s was from when I was in high school. And maybe, no, she didn't go through watching that craziness and watching Kurt Cobain, you know, kill himself. Maybe she connects to him and that music in a different way. But that's okay. That's totally okay. She, that's the power of art in any form is it, how it connects to you on a personal basis. And a lot of that is your experience. And 
you know, I could say the same about the Beatles. I was listening to my dad's Beatles albums when I was young, long after there was no, you know, they'd broken up and weren't making anything new. But that doesn't mean that they weren't still interesting and relevant and, and awesome. And yeah, it's it's yeah it's a it's an opportunity for funness when gene wilder died and people finally people who'd only ever seen him as a as a sarcastic wonka meme managed to dig a little deeper and learned about this whole pantheon of movies that you know it's i think i think people um younger than us actually have it more difficult to find older media nowadays because a lot of the stuff that I discovered that was well before my time was because I didn't have access to immediacy in any of my entertainment. I had to watch TBS on Saturday afternoons. I had to listen to whatever radio stations that I could get. I had to watch whatever movies were available on the TV. And so when Bridge Over the River Kwai was playing and I watched it because it was the only thing on you know, who kn- I would probably have never pulled that up if I was because I never would have gone looking for that movie. It's at this point old as shit, but I watched it because it was the only thing on and I needed something to watch. And then three hours later, I was just like, this thing is fucking amazing. Yeah. And, and that's why I know Hogan's Heroes as well as I do. Although yeah. speaking of like old music, I, I saw Doctor Strange today in theaters. I know I'm a little bit late to the party, but I finally what? got some time off to watch it. And I continue to ask that Luke and I are actually going to go see it for Thanksgiving. So no spoilers just yet. Okay, no spoilers. I will say that I enjoyed the movie a lot. Um, the Pink Floyd song Interstellar Overdrive figures into it, which is kind of a weird one to pick. You would think they'd go with something like Roger Waters' Wall era or whatever, but they're specifically going Piper of the Gates of Dawn, which is kind of psychedelic era Pink Floyd which I thought was kind of the perfect fit for her for this movie. And you'll get a more idea of why it is um, when you watch it. Special effects are fantastic. I think it's like top notch, just the way they're able to convey these, the, the, these worlds and worlds, the world of Doctor Strange, as it were. I thought it was well cast across the board. I know there's some controversy about the ancient one, but Tilda Swinton knocks it out of the park. She's a great actress at the end of the day. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does a really, really good job. Um, you know, as Doctor Strange, I thought I, the movie was just the right amount of funny with the seriousness and it ties into the larger stuff. And uh, I would say, I mean, I'm pretty excited about it. If not top 10 Marvel movie, I'd say maybe early teens, like 11 to 15. I have to figure out my rankings, but I, I thoroughly enjoy Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's kind of no. why I, I assign it tiers uh, because it then it doesn't matter how many there have been. Uh, it's... It, it just kind of like, oh, it, I feel like it's in this tier or in this tier. And uh, and then it you don't have to keep track of how many there have been. Uh, but uh, I, it was a solid, as I said the- last week, it's, it was a solid beer tier, B tier for me. I love that we're at the point in where there are so many Marvel movies out that not only do we have to rank them by tiers, but you get to say something like, it might not be my top ten. Like, we have 10 Marvel movies, guys. Oh, my God. This is awesome. But, yes, that's Luke and I are going to go to the Cinnabar on Thursday and see a matinee of Doctor Strange because I'm excited. I am planning nice. to see uh, uh, Moana tomorrow night. Oh, cool. I've like, heard really good things about I that. I can't wait. I know show of the friend Izzy is very excited about it uh, because she has 
some Hawaiian ancestry uh, in her, and and this plays into that mythology. So I know she's pretty excited about it. I'm actually so. I'm going to see it tomorrow because I'm probably not going to have enough time to go and and see it at some point in the weekend. My weekend is pretty packed. Also, I am taking my the a guy who sold me a car today to hel- he's helping me take my rental down to down to a different town and then I'm driving him back to the dealership and uh and then I'm going to go see the movie at my favorite theater. So and what you need to take away from all that is I bought a car today. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you buy? I bought a 2013 Elantra. Uh it's a Hyundai and I I've I've owned a Hyundai for almost 4 or 5 years until it came to a tragic end last week. Uh, last Tuesday in the morning, I rear-ended a young lady, and uh, and I didn't think it was going to be that bad. But while I was in Dallas, after I had taken it down to the body shop and gotten a rental, I was told that it was totaled. And I, I read this over breakfast from from my uh, from my insurance app, and I'm like, well, okay, that's unexpected. I guess I need a new car. And there were some foibles with, with getting the car. Like uh, two of the cars that I wanted that I had found online. Uh, one of them turned out to be a uh, manual and not an automatic. And just long story short, I just don't know how to drive it right now. And that's not what I was looking for. So I went back today for a different car. And so this car was available yesterday. It was available for 52 days. And it got sold. Right after I called the dealership and said, hey, is that car still there? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's still here. And then when I showed up in the afternoon, it wasn't there because it had gotten fucking sold. But I will say that the car I ended up with, uh, it does have some some nice upgrades. It's got got Bluetooth capability, which is new for a car for me. It's heated seats. I'm really excited about the heated seats. I can't can't express that enough, how excited I am about (laughs) that. And... uh, and it just i think it's going to work out it's it's a little bit more expensive it has a few, it has about 10,000 more miles on it than the other car i was looking at but all in all it's going to be fine uh i got a great loan rate from my credit union and so i just have to like tomorrow i just need to like drop off some paperwork and drop off that salesman cuz he's giving me a hand and uh and all will be good well congratulations well thanks yeah. sounds like you got a decent deal yeah it was, it was tough. All right. yeah and, you know, before we go into, uh, you know, Westwood spoilers, I did want to sort of wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Um, no matter where you are in life or what you're doing, there's always things that we can show and people we can show gratitude for. And just remember, like, you, uh, if you have agency, you matter. You're awesome. And I'm grateful for you if you're listening to these words. We all are. I, I, I second that. I, I, we are very lucky that we get to do this. Um because we're not beholden to anyone. This is something we do for love and something we do to for ourselves and for and for our audience to entertain you guys. And if you are listening to this now, we really, really do appreciate it. Thank you for coming back to us every week. And I, I do it selfishly so that I can hang out with two of my favorite people of all time for an hour a week because I don't get to do that if if we don't do Glib Shark sometimes. Aw, all the feels. Our sound producer is Jonathan Aldefield Cerna. Remember, kids, 
Hosts may be people too. I thought you were just gonna say remember kids and you just call it. I almost I thought about it. I, I, I did think about it. <laughs> oh man. So you may have heard words at the beginning of the show. Those are from uh, Bob Ball, our announcer and the voice actor. You may have heard music at the top of the show, and you'll hear it a little later on. That comes from our dear friend Linnea Boyev. And on behalf of Jonathan Cerna, Lauren Urban, and the entire Gloom Shark staff, this is Jack Edithil saying good night, good health, and stay thankful, my friends. And and stick around if you do want to hear a little bit of Westworld spoilers, because we're going to talk a little I, bit more I, about Westworld. I am so excited to talk about this, mainly because when I saw your face on video yesterday about what we're about to talk about, that was priceless, <laughs> and I, 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 I want to... I want to help that face. I want to help that face find joy. Oh, there's joy, but there's issues. Yes, too. yes. All right. So we're about to lose Jenga because he doesn't want to be spoiled, which is awesome. So good night, Jenga. Good night. And I have the big spoiler tags over my Destiny gameplay here. Okay. So... So I guess we'll start with spoilers through episode eight. Yes. So episode seven and eight. Let me bring up a little reminder about what those were all about. Uh, let's see. Um, can we just dive into it while you do that? Because, oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Do we want to talk about the good stuff or the bad stuff? Or would you like to talk good or bad first? Let, I really let's talk a, one let's, bad. Let's talk episodically. So we're going to start with uh, oh, Trump. Okay. Trump deal. Trump. Uh, Trump O'Leal, uh, which is the episode seven, which uh, you find out that uh, that that Teresa that my husband was correct. Yes. Well, first of all, you find out like just that uh, that Teresa and the board are trying to overthrow uh, Ford, and it is in fact Teresa who was who had set up the satellite uplink that was trying to be sent out. Uh, you also. Uh, find, you also see a demonstration of how quote unquote hosts can remember things specifically with a host named Clementine who we've all seen and is this exotic looking host uh, they basically at the beginning of the episode they have this deal where they have a technician beat up Clementine wipe her memory bring her back online and then she immediately attacks the technician because she has some sort of like memory of him attacking her it is, the demonstration is then paused and you find out the technician is actually a host and that this was the, it, this Clementine host is supposedly uncontrollable. And so they have to put her down and they there is a very, very terrible scene where you see this Clementine host get lobotomized like full mm. blades up the nose. And it's 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 bad. Uh, you then you not not only do we get to see it. But at that very moment, Maeve happens to be taking a tour, an unauthorized little tour, and she sees it too. Right. And this so is Maeve after... gets to watch a friend essentially get lobotomized. Right. And this is after Maeve has become super smart by having her attributes messed with. Uh, and so that, that affects her. Uh, then we get to... We get to the big deal of episode seven and why it's called... Uh, Trump de Lille, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. So Trump de Lille is a method by which you can apply paint 
and and an artistic touch to a flat surface to make it seem like it has texture. It's it's used it's basically used to make something that's kind of boring look kind of cool. Like, oh, there's there's something interesting going on there when there really isn't. It's just a flat wall with paint. Um, I personally learned this from a board game about construction, but it, that that title has a lot of meaning to what's going on because it's kind of referring to the hosts in that demonstration, how they are they're, they're semblances of life. They're not actually alive. They're just look like they are. Maybe they're they have some thought, but we're not sure about that yet. But like they they look human, act human, but are in fact not. And that's something that we've we've known throughout the series, but. This episode takes it to a new level, and I'll let you take mm-hmm. it from there. Luke, my dear husband, called it many episodes ago, and I think we actually probably talked about it online. We did uh, on, on the on the show, in where he thought that there was hosts among the sheep, that there was there was a a host that was masquerading as a human in um, the backstage area of the the park and he pegged bernard and i did not believe it for a variety of reasons and also for a uh, a storytelling reason that i i didn't want that to happen but mostly also i i had reasons that um bernard himself actually brings up after we find out that yep he's a host yeah yeah he is a host and he's been a host the whole time. So there, I have a lot of questions, but yeah, that's the big reveal. And then he kills Teresa on Ford's order. Dead, gone. Dead and gone. And it's interesting. It's interesting that you bring up the whole idea of like that the hosts are, are not real, considering that's been one of the kind of the, the growing questions in the show. And um, that is very quickly brought up in the next episode in, in episode eight, uh, Bernard and Ford have that discussion of how, you know, I'm feeling these feelings. I am thinking these thoughts. I have these emotions. How, how do I know they're not real? Why are they less real than yours? How can I tell the difference? How can you tell the difference? If you can't tell the difference, then what, what's to say that I am, I am not real, you know? And, you know, they finally kind of address the if the elephant in the room of if you of essentially the Turing test kind of thing. If you can't tell the difference and you think you are a conscious entity, aren't you a conscious entity? You know, and I think Ford had an interesting answer to that question. Um, well, first, we find out a little bit more about his about um his silent partner as it were about what he thought and how this was something that drove him nuts but then ford basically says i don't think there is a difference between you and i or if there is i don't think it matters i think pondering that question is useless and that you know if there is a difference you're not missing out on anything and i i feel like that is a very consistent answer to his philosophy which is that these created beings are, he is a god amongst these created beings, that he, he views himself as their creator and their controller and their god, but 
he he has he has a strange affection for them while at the same time being incredibly blunt about what exactly they are and are not. So I think it's a it's a fascinating psychological discussion moment in the show to you know is is Ford evil? Is he a bad person? Is he doing the wrong thing or the right thing? Is what is he, is is he are these slaves? Are these just robots? Are these uh, I don't think those are black and white questions. I don't think you can say he's evil or good. I think what he asked Bernard to do is clearly a bad thing. He had him murder somebody. Um it's possible he had him murder a second person. We get a very quick flashback maybe memory, maybe something uh, about the tech that got sent out. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that's been one of the cruxes of the show. And I, when I didn't want a human masquerading as a host, one of my main concerns is that, um, there were these two separate ish questions going on about the, the hosts, you know, what is their true nature? How do we, how do they become sentient? How do we know when they're sentient? How do they know when they're sentient? You know, kind of this, uh, very, Turing test line of questioning and then the humans were going through their own questioning of what is the morality of this place what is you know what are you when all of your um when there are no consequences to your actions um and i was afraid that having a host masquerading as a human would muddy those questions and they kind of have but it hasn't been too bad no, and it hasn't, and yeah. especially like, like Bernard's discussion with with Ford about these about these issues, which continues into episode eight. Yeah, I wonder if that's how Ford actually feels, because he is a liar, and he lies to Bernard in that conversation when Bernard asks, "Have you made me hurt anyone before?" and Ford tells him no. And we immediately get a flashback to a struggling Elsie. Yeah. So. Well. I don't. And so we don't. Sorry, go ahead. Well, there's no reason to show that in that conversation. If it's not, even though we don't see Bernard doing it, uh, it, it makes no sense to show that there with, with, if Bernard isn't the one who's doing it. Now, to be fair. We don't know that she, like, she may have survived the encounter. Elsie has proven to be a very resourceful person. So it's possible that she accessed host Bernard, got him to stop, and then erased his memory of that encounter. Uh, and, and then, or at, at least of the killing her, like, or convinced him that he did kill her. And then that way, when Ford came around and erased that memory, because clearly he did, or else he, that wouldn't have been a question Bernard would have asked. He would have already known that answer. It, well, it's, very, it's very hopeful. And, and a friend told me that it was wishful thinking. And that's, that's very true. It is. But you got to wonder, like, why haven't they shown the entire encounter with Elsie? I mean, we've gotten... The part she was napped, which is the last we saw her until episode eight, when we got that brief flashback. 
I got to wonder why they're approaching it that way. I mean, we did see Teresa get murdered. And at this point, we already know that Bernard's a host. So why not show the entire encounter unless there's something that we shouldn't see until later? Or, and this show has been very good about that for the most part. There's only been a couple of times that I've been annoyed at it. But it's been very good about not... um, not presenting you with everything. Um, It allows you to know enough to make the the logical leap. And so maybe at this point, unless Elsie is alive and her showing up or her whereabouts are going to be important. I think the show, all we need to know for the show right now is she got taken out. Nobody's, going to be looking for her for a while because they think that she's on vacation and Bernard may think that maybe if he still has a memory of even the flashback that he had something to do with it that's the important things until we are told otherwise so you may be right um I I have an interesting theory for you because you said uh you started out with Ford is a liar um I think he's a sociopath, but I, I think if you asked Ford if he has ever in the show outright lied about anything, he would tell you no. And yes, factually, he has told things that are not true. The story that he tells the board member about um, what happened to... I've just lost her name. The one who just died. Teresa. Uh, what happened to her is technically untrue. Um, the It's very... Whether or not Elsie is alive, Bernard's question was, have I hurt anyone else? And if the flash that we get of him choking out Elsie is true, then he's hurt her even if he didn't kill her. Um, but I would argue Ford... I believe that he believes because he talks about how the stories that we, we, the story of our life, you know, why'd you give me a backstory if these people don't exist? Well, those backstories, those stories that we tell of our lives, those help define us, those help um, give us meaning. And those are true, whether they are actually what happened or not is almost irrelevant, and this is Ford's argument, what's the relevant part is that we believe them, and so they give us purpose, agency, whatever. Um, And that's why hosts have these memories of backstories and and history. Um, And you hear Ford, especially in, in the last episode, refer to stories a lot. Um... She, he says when, um, when they're examining Teresa's body and he tells the, the, the line about what, they're, what actually happened to her that he's giving, he actually says, you know, what a disappointing end to her story. I think he fully believes whatever is the accepted truth, whatever is the believed truth, whatever is the story is true. So when Bernard, if, if it is true that at some point in the past, he, Bernard hurt, injured, killed the, the tech 
and Ford comes along and wipes his memory of this. And now Bernard does not remember ever hurting anybody else. In Ford's mind, he's telling the truth when Bernard says, have I, have you ever had me hurt anyone else? Have I ever hurt anyone else? No, because you don't remember hurting anyone else. And so you didn't. I, I think in a very interesting way, Ford has never lied about anything. He has told stories about stuff and those stories may not be factually accurate, but in his mind, that's the story and that's the backstory. And so it's true. I can kind of see that, but I'm, I, it's mostly that I hope that Elsie's okay, but yeah, we've had an amazing couple of episodes. We are, we have seen, Teddy act out and act very and start to remember things when in this last episode he knocks out the uh, the man in black and just before just before some people show up mm. uh, it, and that's it the comment that he made to to the blonde chick that they ran into that yeah. oh I would have thought they would have retired you I guess. Ford likes keeping around a pretty face. Uh, I couldn't figure out where I had seen that host before, but it's the greeter host that William runs into. That helps that kind of gets William acclimated to the park and offers him clothes and then offers herself and says, we can start right here and right now. And there was a question like when I first watched that moment of, is this person actually a host or are they just, a hostess, just a normal human. And that question, I think, got answered definitively. Yes, they were a host. And she may have said even at that moment and said, yeah, and made reference to we hosts or something like that. I don't, I don't, I'd have to go back and and rewatch, but I seem to remember that she doesn't actually confirm everything. At one point, William asks her if she is one of them. I don't even think he says host or robot or whatever. I think he gives the oblique. Are you one of them? And her answer was, if I remember correctly, um, if you can't tell, does it matter? I, I which is, I, I a very remember good that, answer, but I thought that she said something a little bit later that kind of like, or, or someone said like, I, maybe it was, uh, it was the other guy that, that William was rolling with that, that said, oh, so did you bang that host? Oh, maybe. I'm, that I'm going to miss. Yeah, I, and I think, I think oh. you're right. I, th- I, don't, I don't know that she actually confirmed it, but I, I do think that, uh, that at some point it was confirmed in that conversation. Okay. So I, can, I, can I be upset at this show for a minute? Because I have a really big gripe with it right now. I have a huge... Luke and I, after the last episode, actually railed about this for quite a while. Um, People who've listened to me talk about a variety of media know that one of the things that pisses me off the most, especially about episodic TV shows, are when characters do dumb things. Things that you know they know better than to do and are actually not in their best interest to do. And the only reason they do it is because plot. Right. Because they do it because the plot. Um, The two maintenance techs that Maeve is manipulating yes, into doing yes. all this shit there. No, no, we have gone way past and uh, asshole tech at 
several points is right that they should just they should report this they should when she's off wipe her memory they it is us as audience members are sympathetic to Maeve but these two men are there is no way they get out of this unscathed and they both have acknowledged this and they both have been in positions in where they are not under Maeve's control thumb presence. You know, several times she has been up in the park having to fulfill her role while they could very easily be off telling a superior, doing something else. I actually thought, you know, the, the asshole when he's just like, we take her, uh, we do what she asks and then when we shut her down we just wipe her memory and hit her in the head with uh, a blunt object I actually thought that that was the most reasonable thing that any of them had said or done and I am kind of pissed at them because I feel like with some minor tweaking and getting rid of, of the asshole one if it had just been the other guy and I don't know their names which is horrible I should know their names uh, I believe the... it's uh, Sylvester and um, oh what's the other guy's name Sylvester is the uh, the one who's kind of got the hots for Maeve, right? I who's sympathetic to her? I believe so. Let me look. Okay. While you're looking that up, so if it had just been him... Sylvester is the asshole. Felix is the is the sympathetic. Okay. 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 If, if it had just been Felix from the beginning, if she had been, you know, playing him, we already know that he is, he's looking to become a programmer. He's fascinated by these creations. He is already sympathetic to her. Um, if she had continued to manipulate him alone, I think some of the things that, that, that he has done so far would have made a little more sense. But the instant that she had to get resort to physical violence with Sylvester and the instant she um, has shown herself to be dangerous and not um, not really a nice person, I think you you lose any credibility that these guys have for continuing to work with her when they had so many opportunities to shut her the fuck off. Yes. And rant. No, no, that's a fine. That's that is a very fair rant because, like, I don't. I I seriously don't understand why they didn't do that. I I sort of get Felix, sort of. He's infatuated with her. She is being still even as a host. She's still extremely attractive, and yes. and they seem to. She is also very manipulative. So she has made a connection with this weak-willed person. So that sort of makes sense. But it's like. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what Felix is thinking other than I am under your thrall. Because Sylvester's right. They're in trouble. If anyone finds out about this, they're fucked. Well, and not only are they fucked, she's fucked. Um, the, there's so many ways this could not end well. She could very well decide at this point to kill the both of them to cover her tracks which she's now proven she can do you know up and up until she finally slashed at sylvester there was always kind of the you know yeah she held the knife to him at, at the one point but 
there was still the question about whether she could actually break that part of her programming and harm a guest, harm a human. Now we know she can, unequivocally. I if if the next thing these guys aren't doing is immediately getting the fuck out of that relationship, then I I have I hold no hope for that storyline. Then they are literally just plot devices. Ugh. And it's frustrating because there is so many everything else about this show has been really top notch. And I feel like in in pretty much every other storytelling aspect, the show has been elegant and has given um, a lot of information without it being obvious, has given just enough information without giving everything away. There's still a lot of questions. Um, and then this thing has come along and it's just been ridiculous. So there you go. We'll, we'll see what happens in the last two episodes with the two of them. Um, I, I think the only way they salvage this this storyline so that I don't think that it's a complete uh, disaster is if the very next episode we finally see a revolt of these two humans who and they try to stop her. Well, if only to Maeve save their has own put herself in a pretty bad position. I mean, she fell into one of her memories and then killed New Clementine. So she's yeah. already attracted a bunch of like unwanted attention and it very well may put her plans in danger so like right now her worst enemy is herself yes absolutely well and then yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know about a lot of things um i'm still hesitant about the idea that this is a story that's happening over multiple timelines. I, I know that's a time very frames. popular theory. Time frames. The, it, this is one timeline happening over a bunch of different things. This isn't, uh, this isn't Bioshock Infinite. Well, what I mean is like uh, some there's a theory that some scenes with some characters are happening in the past. Right, under, in and, a different time frame. A different timeline yeah. would be that past doesn't exist in this future. Oh, yeah, okay. My bad, wrong. No, no, wrong and it's terminology. not just you. It's the fact that everyone who has been purveying these theories have used timelines because it sounds cooler. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you, you don't understand what, what a timeline is. It's, it, I, I, I am not sure if, if this is happening over a bunch of different time frames. I, I don't know if... if William is a young man in bl man in black. I I don't know that yet, but I it it is interesting if if that is the case, and I do want to see and and things like the the host that they ran into, where he says, "I thought they would have retired you." Someone posted a screenshot of when uh, of when William is coming into the into the park. That looks an there's someone who looks an awful lot like the way Ford would dress. So it's like. Mm -hmm. It's it's plausible. It is definitely a plausible notion. We'll we'll just have to see. I I don't know. Yeah, I, there's arguments for and against. I I am hoping my my kind of personal hope is that that's not the case. That this is all happening at that we are that everything that we are seeing is happening in the same time frame. Mostly because I feel like a satisfying that. 
as we get closer to the end of this season, the storylines are intertwining. Um, the discussions happening in one place are being mirrored in another. The characters, uh, we've got multitudes of characters who are looking for the center, the maze or the center of the maze for a variety of reasons. And I feel like it, there's a natural progression in the show to bringing several, if not many of these characters together to, for us to finally have the man in black and Dolores and Teddy and um, William and uh, at maybe even Maeve together to confront whatever it is they're, that they're going to find. And I have a theory about what they're going to find. I don't know if we want to go into it, but I, I have a theory about what the center of what the maze and the center of the maze actually is. Well, what is, what's your theory? My theory is the maze is not an actual physical place that the the maze that we keep seeing drawn out places um the explanation that teddy gives about the um the story of the maze um the maze is what uh arnold it's a it's a programming thing it's a it's either a circuitry uh sequence or it's something in programming it's it's a representative of a programming idea that Arnold came up with that gives hosts sentience or what he believed was sentience. And I believe, because we've heard from Ford that um, Arnold went mad and killed himself. And we've also heard that what drove him mad was his um, pursuit of that, the answer to that question, how do we know if the hosts ha have gained consciousness and what's the difference between the two of us? So here's my theory. Arnold was pursuing this idea and whether through insanity or brilliance or whatever, uh, part of what he was trying to do was figure out how to transfer a human consciousness into a host body. Because if you're looking for practical immortality, that would be a way to do it. But the only way to make sure that you're not going to lose yourself or your soul or your your ability to be yourself when you do that is you need to make sure that the hosts themselves are capable of this kind of self-aware consciousness. And the so the maze itself is, is a representative of that programming idea of that circuitry of that uh, whatever that special thing is that gives the hosts their sentience if they have it. And the center of the maze is Arnold in a host body who has been continuing his work on the sentience, bringing about a sentience in these hosts. And that um, there, there isn't really a physical manifestation of this he is using his knowledge and his manipulative abilities and the fact that we don't know what he looks like that he if he is in a host body that can be altered and or he can maybe swap hosts we don't know that he is um he is going to reveal himself and we may not know what he looks like at all or he may reveal himself as a host that we are familiar with and that this will be these are uh, tests to try to see if a host is ready to achieve that level of, you know, um, freedom. 
you know, some of them have called it freedom. Some of them have, have called it this. And the man in black is looking for it because he thinks it's a way to bring about. Um, he doesn't call it sentience. What he calls it is consequences. You know, he is. I think he feels like the only way to prove to himself that he actually is a, a good person is to put himself in a situation where um, his actions finally do have consequences and see if he'll make the same decisions. Will he still kill a small child if he knows that that small child is no longer an automaton, but an actual living being? Ugh, there. So that's what I said. I don't know. I don't know if any of that is true. I don't know if I've just pulled a lot of that on my ass, but we'll see in two episodes. I mean, even, even, even if you haven't, I mean, it's still... It's still good conversation to have. And, and again, that's why we love this show. That's why we love talking about it. It's because it stirs up these mm-hmm. ideas. It fosters the idea, these ideas. And it, like you said, we'll, we'll see in a couple of episodes. I don't know if they will be doing an episode this week or whether they will, uh, they will take off Thanksgiving or holidays as they normally do for these kind of shows or if they don't care. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where uh, maybe... Maybe they don't. Uh, they don't care that that it's a holiday weekend because it's a popular enough show. And also because the holiday is on a Thursday and only really an American holiday. So um, I wonder if I can look up. I'm, I'm just going to look real quick. Well, according to the Wikipedia page. Uh, episode nine, The Well-Tempered Clavier, which makes me very happy, is slated to air on November 27th. So supposedly, according to Wikipedia, we're getting an episode this week. And then the final episode is December 4th. So. Uh, so we'll see. And my other hope is that this is not a show that's going to hit us with a to be continued at the end of the season. I want this to be a self-contained 10-episode piece of brilliance. And uh, again, we will try and be back next week to to talk about it more. Hopefully we'll have a show next week because we haven't been good about, about keeping the shows up for uh, uh, one week after the other. But we'll, we will certainly try because I've got a feeling we're going to have a lot to talk about after next episode. But until then... Mm-hmm. Thank you for hanging out with us and thank you for allowing us to talk about this stuff and we will see y'all next week. Ah. Love you. Bye. That's all for this week's episode of Glib Shark, but you can find more swimming around the internet. Go fishing for us on iTunes. We're a five-star catch. Or follow us on Twitter at Glib Shark. You can even drop us a line. Glibshark at gmail.com. Until next week, stay sharky, my friends.